Hey, everybody. Welcome to the first episode of Your Mom on Drugs, a podcast for helping people understand what drugs are, what they are for, how they can help, how they can hurt, and how to know the difference. My name is Josh Klaus, and I am joined by my mother, Jennifer Seltzer, Farm D, who is the mom on drugs. Dr. Seltzer worked for the UT Health System for over 30 years as a drug information specialist, whereas I received my bachelor's in biology, and I also have a degree in public health. Um, so I just wanted to take a moment to talk about how growing up with a mom who knew every drug in the cabinet, and I thought that was just like mom knowledge, you know, Um I was like, I have a headache. Oh, you want to take this and this many of that? And I thought that was just general mom knowledge. But I remember being 15 and uh, checking the mail one day and I saw a letter addressed to Dr. Seltzer. And I'm like, who's Dr. Seltzer? And you're like, oh, that's me. And I'm like, you're a doctor? And he goes, yeah, I'm my doctorate in, uh, in pharmacy. And I had no idea. So I don't know why you hid that from me for so long. I don't know either. I didn't realize you didn't know what I did. <laughs> I know. I just thought you were a pharmacist. I know that you're like such an excellent. Pharmacist. I taught, you know, I taught taught students. That's true. Yeah, I know that you're a professor as well. She was a professor. I had no idea. Maybe that speaks to my lack of interest. There, you had a few other things on your mind. Yes, when I was 15. Um, so I realized after venturing out on my own and kind of wandering the aisles of the pharmacy looking for treatment for a headache, stomach ache, you you name it. Uh, that I was incredibly lucky to have some basic knowledge of pharmaceuticals growing up with a mom um, and also someone I could call in the pharmacy to ask her a question. Like, I didn't have to go to the pharmacist. I could just call you. It's like, what should I take this? Is the generic brand good? Um, I mean, so I figured, why not, why keep this resource to myself? Why not share this resource with the world? Because I'm sure there's a lot of other people like me who walk into a pharmacy and feel very overwhelmed. And so I figured that we could use this time to share our knowledge and curiosity about drugs and how they interact with the body. Um, and we can share that with other people. Does that sound good to you? That sounds great. So just some background knowledge. Um, there's no such thing as a panacea, I would say. The idea that there's a one size fits all for any disease, right? I would uh, agree with that, yes. Yeah. So just to let everyone know your body, your wonderful body, is composed of 37.2 trillion cells, which is an astounding number. And each one of those cells, on average, has about 42 million proteins of different types in them at one time, which is just insane to think if you have 42 million ingredients inside of one cell when you have 37 trillion of them. So there's a lot going on. I mean, is imagining like each cell is a city and it's got 42 million residents inside of it, and then you have 37.2 trillion cities, and that just makes up your whole body. So the fact that you would have one drug to cure an ailment that probably has a multitude of causes um, is probably not out there, which is why you need some expertise to help guide you through this process. Here go, your mom on drugs. So your body is always in something called homeostasis. Homeostasis is essentially a fancy word for balance. Um, 
those 42 million proteins, they're either coming, they're going, they're doing a job, or they're done doing their job, they're getting built, or they're getting degraded. And most of the time, you don't notice this happening. You just notice yourself being alive and happy in the world, noticing the sunshine and a nice cool breeze, or maybe it's a little too cold or a little too hot, and you're usually fine. And when you notice that you're out of homeostasis is when you feel sick. Most of the time, it's when you feel that something is wrong, something's off, and there's usually a reason for that thing being off. And in this moment, I like to compare the body to a house. So your house has a lot of rooms inside of it. It also has appliances. Um, It also has a structure to it. It's got frames. It's got studs. It also has a foundation. Um, Appliances are kind of like organs in your body, like spleen, heart, etc., And then you have the foundation, which could be the bones, ligaments. Um, Now, sometimes things in the house can go out of whack, but you don't notice it. Like, for example, when when my house is dirty, uh, my mom always notices that. And um, but it's not going to make or break my house. My house is going to still stand even when it's dirty. Um, But when something like my foundation is cracking, that can be indicative of the house being out of balance, out of homeostasis. And so. Some things in your body can be going wrong, like maybe a bit of indigestion or maybe a little bit of joint pain, but it's not going to mean it, it'll probably correct itself because your body's going to go back to homeostasis. But sometimes things can go really wrong, like the foundation of your body can be cracked. And I think that's when you want to get a you know, certified medical professional, like a pharmacist or a doctor or a PA, NP, et cetera, to come and diagnose you and see what's actually going on inside of your body. So I wanted to set that as a foundation for as we talk about these things, that your body is an amazingly complex organism, and it's going to take a little bit of time and a little bit of thought and a little bit of detective work to actually figure out what's going on, what's right for you. You're not going to just be able to Google it and figure it out right away. It might be able to, you have to talk with your primary care physician. Hopefully we can provide some of that information as well to help you, and um We hope that this information will not only be interesting, but also useful in your life or somebody else in your life that might be suffering from a certain type of condition. Um, So with that being said, this is your mom on drugs with me, Josh Klaus. And Jennifer Seltzer. Who has remained amazingly quiet. I don't know if you want to add anything to that. No. (laughs) (laughs) As you can tell, I am the one with the words, but my mother will be having the words in this next section when we are going to be talking about migraines. So the first condition we wanted to hit today was uh, migraine headaches. Um, And this is something uh, near and dear to my mom's heart because she experiences migraines. Um, So I'm actually going to just I'm fairly ignorant about migraines, so I'm just going to ask my mom a bunch of questions, and hopefully she has the answers. And if we don't have the answers, then we will look them up and provide you the best information. So, um, mom, what is a, a migraine headache? Well, migraines are the second most common type of headache that people experience. The first type being a tension type headache, but migraines. Um, again, are the most common headache that causes neurologic disability. And they affect about 15% of women and 6% of men in the United States over a one-year period. 
and um, it's highest. They ha- they happen most frequently in people eighteen to forty four years of age. But you can have them younger, or you can you can have them younger, or you can have them older. But that eighteen to forty four is the most common age. So for someone who's experiencing this, it'll probably be. 18 to 44. Now I've, I've had a headache before and I know what that feels like. I usually take some ibuprofen or Tylenol and that usually helps alleviate the headache. But from your personal experience, like what makes a migraine different than just a regular tension headache? What probably most people are used to. Okay. So a migraine headache has, um, it actually has, different phases. And there are the people that have migraine headaches can have up to four different phases that describe the headache. The first, just the first phase is called the prodrome um, or the, the, yes, the prodrome. And it doesn't happen in every single patient, but it happens in about 75% of patients that get migraines. And in the prodrome, you can have these kind of neurologic effects, like you can have extra sensitivity to sound or light, um, or you can have some difficulty concentrating, or you can be um, you can be extre- all of a sudden extremely sensitive to touch, so it causes pain. Um, you could also have some feelings of anxiety or depression or irritability. You could even have euphoria, you know, real, you know, real light, bright happiness and stuff. Um, you could also have some other, um, you know, physical effects to your body. Like you could have frequent urination or diarrhea or constipation. And then you could also have some other different kind of miscellaneous things going on during this pro- prodrome, like yawning, or you crave for certain types of food, or you get Um, excessively thirsty, or you may have anorexia. Again, then it moves into what's called the headache phase. And the thing that that is characteristic of the the headache is that it's usually unilateral. That means it's only on one side of the head. Now, it doesn't mean that it can't switch to the other side of the head, but usually it'll start on one side of the head. It may generalize at that point, but it's usually, that's one of the kind of key Um, characteristics of a migraine is that it happens on one side of the head. And, um, and then it's going to, it's, it's usually a gradual and onset pain. And, you know, interestingly, not everybody will get an actual headache with a migraine, which is crazy. Oh, so you can experience prodrome symptoms and it won't develop into a headache. Right. Now I don't actually have a percentage of people who don't actually get headache, pain, but you've got these other things that are going on as well because, um, because um, that will characterize it as a migraine. And I'm not a great diagnostician, so I would say that if you've got some unique things going on that kind of feel like a headache, but you're not really sure whether it's a migraine or not, I would sure have a conversation with your doctor, you know, about that, your primary care physician. So... Um, other things that are characteristic of that actual headache phase is, like I said, you know, that the headache usually is unilateral. It usually is 
kind of at the front of your head or the side of your head. Sometimes, and where, which is different, which is different from a usual tension type headache, because if you've had a tension type headache, it kind of feels like a band around your head, kind yeah, of. Yeah, I always feel like I'm getting squeezed. Right. About. And that's not the way a migraine headache feels. It feels usually that you've got this throbbing pain. Usually it's in the frontal, front kind of area or the side of your head. It's like on one side. And um, it, uh, and it it can increase in intensity if you don't treat it. Usually, that kind of headache doesn't go away on its own. Um, after you've had this headache phase, and it can last from anywhere from four to seventy-two hours, so that's three days. Wow. You know, so some people get really sick with migraines. Um, after the migraine, after the headache phase is is over, then you enter what is called the postdrome phase or the after phase. And in that phase, you feel tired. Um, you can feel um, irritability again. You feel exhausted, no energy. You can have mood changes, uh, depression again. Some people will even actually feel unusually refreshed. I know from personal experience, I feel so great not to have that headache anymore, even if I've had to take some medications to get rid of it. So sometimes I'll just feel really good that I don't have the pain anymore. Um, sometimes you can have um, hard time concentrating after you have a migraine. And that all these after effects can last up to one day. Yeah. So if I can summarize and you can correct me where I'm wrong. So you essentially have the prodrome phase where it almost seems like certain things are just heightened. It just seems like certain sensitivities are just heightened. You almost feel like you're more sensitive to the world around you. And then that could bring on an onset of the actual migraine headache, which usually affects one side of the head, but it's not like a squeezing or a tension headache. It's more of a pulsating headache or a throbbing headache that you have. And that could last up to 72 hours. And I don't know if there's any reason why one would last longer than the other, if it's just random. It's just random. And then after that, you have the, the postdrome phase in which you feel almost exhausted. It, it almost sounds like a tidal wave where you have the swelling of the wave and then the wave crashes, which is the headache. And then you have the leftover surf at the end of it. Kind of. Yes. It's just that when it's over for whatever reason, your body is just, and it's probably due to some of the, you know, the, 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 the mechanism behind a migraine is not well known. There are some genetics that could be, you know, kind of the, the cause of it. Environmental factors can also play a role. But as far as what's going on inside your head specifically, um, it usually has to do with some sort of changes in your brainstem and specifically the trigeminal nerve, which is one of the nerves that's in your brain that is a major pain pathway. Trigeminal nerve. Trigeminal nerve. That's a fun word. Yes, it is. Yeah. And so then there's going to be some other chemical things that might... Um, be affected. I'm just going to throw out a couple of them. And the reason I'm throwing them out is that they come into play when you treat a migraine headache. Yeah. We should let everyone know here that understanding the mechanism isn't necessary to treating the disease. But imagine if you like working on cars, for example, like you usually take your car to the mechanic and you say, my, my AC isn't working. And there's probably 
a reason why your AC isn't working. It could be the condenser is broken. It could be that the fan isn't blowing properly. So you could take it to the mechanic and just give it to them and they could fix your car and you wouldn't have to know what they did. And you, I've had the experience where they tell you that long list of things that they did. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's my money. Thanks for fixing my car. But if you are interested in knowing your body, like you would want to know a car, there are certain chemicals in your body that can go out of balance. Remember that homeostasis thing we talked about. And so by knowing which chemicals in which nervous systems, like the trigeminal nervous system is out of balance, you then can use specific drugs to be able to treat those symptoms because it wouldn't do you any good to use Tums to treat a migraine because Tums have a very different way that they interact with the body than something like some of the treatments that we're going to say. So if you are a nerd like we are, we're going to post more detailed um, like figures and scientific papers at the end of the show notes and you can click and do your own research. Uh, but other than that, we're just going to kind of give you the general overview of why these treatments are uh, appropriate. Is that fair to say? That would be fair to say. So, so, um, so again, I mentioned you know, the, 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 the body has several different nerves that innervate that, that, that reach into the brain and the trigeminal nerve is just one of them. So the trigeminal nerve is the nerve that affects your face. And, and, and so it's the, it's so the trigeminal nerve, uh, it's also a major pain pathway, which has something to do with migraine headaches. Um, and then there, then there are specific chemicals uh, in your brain that can be um, unbalanced, as, as Josh said, um, in migraines. And one of them is serotonin. One of them can be dopamine. And one of them is a newer peptide called calcitonin gene-related peptide, or CGRP. And this peptide is a vasoactive, so it's a vascular or it affects, you know, like um, your vessels, you know, in your, your brain. And that if it really, it's, it's, so the trigeminal nerve gets activated, this peptide gets released and it will interact with blood vessels to cause vasodilation or your vessels in your brain get, get more engorged or inflamed. Yeah. Let's, let's break that down just so that people maybe can understand. So if you, if you picture a balloon, right, that's not blown up or doesn't have water inside of it and you blow it up with air or you put water inside of it, you're going to notice that balloon expanding. Now, if you have that balloon expanding in, inside of a container, for example, that's going to put pressure upon that container. And so you can imagine that's what vasodilation is in your, in your brain. And so if you have this trigeminal nerve, basically with this CGRP, um, stimulating this vasodilation, you're going to, uh, you're going to essentially have this pressure that is going to be built up and could potentially cause the throbbing. Uh, again, this isn't a def definite mechanism, but you can see that maybe there is some relation there. Um, so that's kind of, kind of, kind of the basics as far as how a migraine headache might get started. Um, but let's go back and let's review again. Remember there is a, 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 a prodrome, I'm sorry, a prodrome phase, a headache phase, and a postdrome phase. But also, let's not forget that about 20 to 25% of patients also may have an aura. 
So let me tell you what an aura is. This is exciting. It's like you got a, you got a healthy glow about you. So yes, kind of. This aura, are, these are reversible nervous system symptoms, and they are most often visual symptoms. And um, but you can also have what we call sensory motor symptoms. So you could possibly have some numbness or weakness, or you could actually lose the ability to speak, you know, which is a word called aphasia. Um, but uh, so, but that's not very common. Mostly your aura is going to be these visual changes. And these are things that the, the individual experiencing the migraine, it's their aura, like they're experiencing visual phenomena they wouldn't normally experience. That's correct. And these, this aura usually happens and builds up over several minutes and may last up to 60 minutes. And the aura phase usually occurs either before or during the migraine. So again, remember I said that that only happens in about 20 to 25% of patients. And would that happen before the headache or before the pre-drome? It, it could happen before either. Is this something that you experience? I do not. I do not. So, but I definitely know people who do, you know, so again, 20, so you're thinking one in four to one in five people are going to get the aura associated with a migraine. Of people who have. Who have migraines. Yes. Yes. Not everybody, but one in four or one in five people who get, who experience migraines may have an aura. There are, there is some discussion about, uh, so people, you know, investigators have, you know, invest, uh, have uh, researched uh, information about migraine and characteristics of people who get migraine, and they it, and there have been some triggers that have been identified that may cause people to get migraines more often. Okay, so it's almost like there's a switch that, that there's an external stimuli with a switch that could basically cause you to be more likely to have a migraine. That's true. Okay. Now, that doesn't mean that if you get exposed to this particular trigger, you're automatically going to have a migraine. And, and people who do get migraines may have multiple triggers so that each person kind of gets um, uh, aware of the things that may cause them to have a, be more, more susceptible to getting a migraine. And you might want to avoid those or modify that type of behavior. So let me give you an example of a couple of things that might be considered a migraine trigger. Um, for women, it can be hormone changes. So there are some women that just get a migraine when they have their menses. Um, and so, so that would not be something that men had to deal with, but so hormonal changes for sure. They can also, women may also have changes in their migraine headache frequency when they go through menopause. Um, if you drink certain, uh, beverages like, uh, alcohol, especially wine, um, and sometimes beer, and, um, and caffeine, especially those types of things may trigger a migraine, although I will offer a disclaimer in that caffeine is actually also used to treat a migraine headache. Yeah, I was going to say that seems to be a little anecdotal. Right. But so mostly it's things like if you drink, especially wine is especially can be a trigger for some patients. That's really interesting. Is there anything special about wine? Is it just the way that it's fermented or the, I think that must be, uh, there may be, I did not look into all the details about wine 
wine and why it would cause a migraine trigger. That could be something that we could do a little bit later on. Yeah, I think if we're going to stop people from drinking wine, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, on this I don't podcast. think so either. Yeah, just know that it could likely. If you want, just migraine. be ready for your migraine. And, and we, should, we should also also a disclaimer, like a, a disclaimer about the word trigger. So trigger, a lot of people think it's an like an on off switch, like you you know, like the trigger on a gun or the light switch, you know, for turning your lights on in the house. Like it's pretty definite. And when that happens, something is going to, an effect is going to happen from the cause. But when you think about something like the body, which has, if not hundreds, thousands of things going on at the same time, the, the smallest thing might not push it over the edge, but it might make it more likely. So for example, um, something that you might think about is if you have an object that's in balance, like let's imagine that you have um, someone standing um, basically on a balance beam and you have forces pushing them from the right and the left and that's keeping them upright. Now the smallest little nudge on the right, even though it is pushing them to try to make them go out of balance, they can use their abs or they can use their body to maintain the balance. But if you have enough things pushing them, no matter how much they try to balance, they're going to fall off. So the idea of a trigger doesn't necessarily mean like it's going to definitely do it, but it gives you a higher likelihood that this event is going to occur. So you're always trying to overcome some type of threshold. And we're going to get to that when we talk about pharmaceuticals as well, because pharmaceuticals um, definitely try to override thresholds to basically counteract that force that's causing the migraine. And you want to push that balance back in the other direction. Um, so just as a caveat there, that it's not this on or off switch. Um, it's very much a very nuanced, multifactorial balance situation. Okay. Thanks, Josh, for clarifying that. Um, a couple of other, I think, key triggers are stress, um, sensory stimuli, things like bright lights and glare. Um, I was driving through Austin over this past weekend in the evening time and a lot of bright lights. And sure enough, when I got home, I got a migraine, you know, and stuff. So I was like, that's just not good. Uh, sleep changes. So too much or too little sleep can sometimes be a trigger. Um, weather changes can, can be a trigger for migraines. Uh, some foods like aged cheeses because they have, I believe it's tyramine in them that can be the, the trigger for, um, for migraines. Um, if you skip a meal um, you, and you get hungry, that can be a trigger for a migraine. And some food additives can also cause migraines like aspartame or monosodium glutamate. I wonder if the thing with the aged cheese is similar to the eight, the wine because wine is aged as yes. well. So I don't know I, if there's I, that there could be there. very much of a similarity yeah, there. So. I'm just speculating. So let, let me just run through the, you know, we've talked about kind of what, uh, you know, the phases of a, of, a, of a migraine. We've talked about the fact that some people can get an aura. We've talked about triggers. Here are the common symptoms of patients who get migraines. And so it's, it's usually, usually you're going to have you, some nausea, which is not typical when you get a tension type headache. Also, you can be sensitive to both light and sound. So that can be part of that prodrome phase, but it, that can also continue on in the migraine, the headache phase that you just want to go into a dark room and lie down with no noise. Um, you can get a little lightheaded. 
Um, you can you can have vomiting as well too if you don't treat the headache, um, and you could have some visual disturbances um, that are not an aura, um, and you can have some numbness. Uh, so those are just some of the things that you can have. You can have some diarrhea um, associated with it, and um, uh, and a little bit of maybe all, you know, altered consciousness. Like you just feel like you've lost concentration and stuff. So I'd say that, so, so the things that make a migraine different than a regular headache are going to be the nausea and vomiting that can be associated with it, as well as that sensitivity to light and sound. Yeah. So if someone is experiencing these symptoms, this might be a great stepping stone to go get diagnosed by a proper medical professional and whether they have these things acutely or chronically, you know, cause it could be a perpetual problem problem or something that happens in the short term. Right. And so, yes, yeah, so that, that's a great segue, Josh, into kind of the key things that are looked at to diagnose a migraine. Normally it's not any type of a head, a, a CT, a CT scan or an MRI. You don't really diagnose a migraine that way. Um, but you usually do it based on your headache frequency. So in patients that don't have an aura, if you have at least five attacks and the headache lasts on each each attack from four to 72 hours, whether or not it's treated successfully or unsuccessfully, um, and that it usually has, like we talked about, that one-sided location, um, that it's got that pulsating, you know, throbbing quality, um, it's moderate to severe in intensity, and it can be um, aggravated by movement or you want to avoid walking around because you just don't feel good, and that you could also have the nausea, vomiting, um, and sensitivity, light and sound associated with it. And it's not, you can't, you can't determine that any other thing is causing any of those types of issues. And so that's going to help you get diagnosed with a migraine without aura. If you do have aura, then it's going to be, you've got the aura going along with it with at least two attacks and um, that it's not attributed to any other other condition. Okay. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I think a common colloquialism that I hear is that if you're um, in a room and upstairs you hear hooves, you don't automatically think zebras. You automatically think horses, right? So um, because... Or you, the idea is like you want to assume that the most common thing is happening to you unless you rule out that the most common thing isn't happening to you. For example, you could be a room in a room in Africa, you know, on a, on a, on a safari in a ranch and be like, oh, maybe there's more zebras here than there would be uh, horses. Um, so what a clever or a good doctor will do is that they will rule out any of the things that it's not. And there's there's techniques that you can do to diagnose that. Um, I would not recommend diagnosing it yourself unless you have someone that you that you trust or you feel like that you can analyze the literature pretty well. Um, because a runny nose, if you have a runny nose, this is just as an example, a runny nose can be indicative of so many things. You know, I mean, you can have a runny nose for so many different reasons. So there's got to be other causes associated with that runny nose that are going to basically help you. Do you have the common cold? Do you have the flu? You know, do you just, you know, is, is it just the pollen count high that day? So there's there's a lot of things to narrow it down. And it's actually, you can have a lot of fun just trying to narrow things down and be a bit open-minded about the things that are going on with you. So let's imagine that I'm a individual who has migraines 
with Aura or without Aura. Well, let's just use without Aura for simplicity's sake because that seems to be the majority of people. Um, and I want to get treated. And I was looking up a stat um, that on average it costs about $6,500 a year to treat migraines, like if you have chronic migraines. And I think that's including doctor's visits, medication costs, etc. So, I mean, this isn't even including taking time off of work. So, because uh, it seems like it can be a debilitating condition um, if it's pretty intense, like the ability to not be able to focus as well on work. So, you'll just lose productivity. So, if I'm an individual who wants to treat this disease um, or this condition, I should say, you know, wh- where would I want to start? Okay. Um, that number seems a little high, you know, but, but I think it just, the, and you, it might cost $6,500 a year, maybe for the first year that when you're actually getting diagnosed to rule out some of those things. But I'd say as you progress on, it shouldn't cost that much to treat migraine headaches, unless you have some that are more difficult to control and you require some more expensive medications. Where you start initially in treating a migraine is that you can use, you can try things like, let me, let me back, let me back up first, uh, just to give you just a few, a few just general statements about treating a migraine headache. First of all, treating a migraine headache is individualized. No two people are probably going to respond to that, the same types of treatment regimens and actually in the same person. The, the same drug may not work every time you get a migraine. So you kind of have a little bit of a, 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 a repertoire of medications to treat your migraine. Yeah, I, I think um, I think people might be have an intuition of why that's the case, um, but I'll let you add upon this. But I'm just going to give an example. So we mentioned earlier that migraines is primarily, it might have a genetic component. So you can inherit conditions that might, predispose you to have migraine headaches, for example. Now, remember with genetics, you're inheriting your genes, half from your mom, half from your dad, and then they get shuffled about and then they go inside of you and they code for the things, not just for the outside of your body, but for the inside of your body as well. And usually the things that are being affected here are things called receptors. And receptors are these proteins that are on the outside of cells. Remember all those cells that you have, those wonderful cells you have in your body. They're there to catch things in the bloodstream that your cells need in order to function. So for example, your brain needs tons of hormones, molecules, proteins in order to function. Now, because you're inheriting those from your parents, if they're missing one of those proteins, they don't code for it then you might have the possibility of missing it as well. Therefore, uh, I'm just speaking from personal experience, I don't get migraine headaches. So my mom has the genetic predisposition to have migraines. I don't. I'm very grateful you didn't pass that on to me, but you did give me some stunning good looks. And uh, and I am very grateful that I didn't get the migraine, which is why personalized medicine, whenever it does come into the full, will be amazing because you can just tailor make you know, molecules for your brain. We're not at that point yet. We're almost kind of dump things into your brain and hope for the best. Uh, but we don't want to do it willy-nilly because that could cause bad things, which we call side effects. And we'll talk about side effects in a moment. But I just wanted, uh, is there anything you want to add on to that um, in terms of 
people being different. I think that's true. Um, and so you, so then you're going to determine, and it's kind of a trial and error type of uh, experience as far as figuring out what works for you and what doesn't. So the other kind of key thing is that, first of all, therapy is individualized. And then the next thing is that you want to treat your migraine headache as quickly as possible as it comes on. When you start feeling the, when you experience the aura or when you start feeling the prodrome, you start experiencing those prodrome type symptoms because the longer you wait to treat a migraine headache, the worse it gets. So the first um, class of medications that you'll use to try to manage your migraine headache are going to be just your basic over-the-counter analgesics like aspirin or Tylenol or ibuprofen, or everybody's probably familiar with Excedrin migraine, which is a combination of aspirin, acetaminophen, which is Tylenol and um, caffeine. Yeah. Let's, yeah. Maybe let's slow down a little. What is an analgesic? Oh, an analgesic. I'm so sorry. An analgesic is a pain reliever. Um, So it's a, it's a medication that is used to help kind of uh, take away pain. Okay. And these are over the counter analgesics and these drugs, they work kind of the same way, but do they have maybe just a little bit of differences in their mechanism? Yes. Um, so things like aspirin and ibuprofen like Advil or, uh, naproxen like Aleve, they are, they, they, they treat pain, so they will help to relieve pain, but they also have an anti-inflammatory component. Whereas Tylenol or acetaminophen or Tylenol only works on the on pain relief. It doesn't really have an anti-inflammatory component. Okay. So that's um if I remember correctly, there's things called nociceptors that are associated with pain. Mm-hmm. And so maybe Tylenol. Uh, affects the, you know, affinity of binding to nociceptors and feeling pain. Right. Okay. And then when you take Excedrin migraine and you've got that caffeine component in it, remember how we talked about that migraines, because of those chemicals that get released, one of the things that happens is that you get um, vasodilation or that expansion of your, your blood vessels in your head. Well, caffeine works as a vasoconstrictor, so it's going to help to make those vessels close back down again. So like Josh talked about that balloon example, the caffeine is going to help take the air out of that balloon and make it go back down. That's really cool. So you're just, anytime I have a cup of coffee, I'm just taking air out of the balloon. There you go. You're doing some other things when you drink that (laughs) coffee as well. So now you, there are some medications that have um, aspirin or acetaminophen and caffeine combined with it that have some other uh, stronger pain relievers associated with it, like uh, there's a Furoset or Furanol. Uh, they have a, barbit- a barbiturate in them that kind of helps people go to sleep. And then there are some that have codeine in them. Uh, but what the studies have shown is that these agents are really, that while they can be effective, they um, can set patients up for 
um, something that we call medication overuse headache, which we're going to talk about in a little bit longer and stuff. So just keep that term in mind. So it's not really um, recommended as much to use those medications that have those narcot- more narcotic me- medications in them. Yeah. And if we can say those names again, those barbiturates, barbiturates, barbiturates. and codeine, anything. So they're usually linked up with aspirin or acetaminophen and, and maybe some caffeine and then codeine or barbiturate in it. Right. So if I'm at the pharmacy and I see- Those are prescription okay, medications. So are, okay. So these are prescriptions. Yes. So um, if my doctor wants to prescribe these to me, I might want to think twice because by trying to cure my headache, I could just get another drug-induced headache. Right. Okay. Right. So my, the, the juice might not be worth the squeeze. Right. Okay. Exactly. That's fair. So um, so we talked about the, the, um, the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs as well. Those are things like aspirin or ibuprofen or naproxen. Um, those are Advil and Aleve. And they are going to do something. And, and so the, the, the main thing I think you remember with um, taking a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug to treat your migraine, um, if you already have some nausea, some, some gastrointestinal adverse effects associated with the migraine itself, these agents can cause some gastrointestinal side effects. So you just need to balance out whether or not you... The, the, that, the ibuprofen or the Aleve is going to work for you and not make your, your symptoms worse. Okay. Yeah. And just to mention gastrointestinals and things like that might be happening in your stomach. Right. You might have to have an upset stomach. Upset stomach, like diarrhea, that. nausea, that type. Yes. So, and um, also too, um, now, the, you know, taking Tylenol or, um, you know, ibuprofen, People might think, well, that's not strong enough um, to treat my migraine. But really, I mean, the intensity of your headache does not dictate the success or failure of a particular treatment. So I would say when you start feeling that migraine, go ahead and try a Tylenol um, and see if you if it'll work. Now, you know that you can only you 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 don't want to take too much Tylenol in a in a particular day because it can cause liver damage. But we're looking at four grams. Uh, you would not take more than four grams of Tylenol a day for that and stuff. In older patients, it would be three grams. OK. So. And just to let everybody know, like how many like three or four grams is how many tablets would that be? Yeah. So nor- I'd say, yeah, I'd say an extra strength or unusual strength Tylenol is about 500 milligrams. So you do the math and it would be anywhere from six to eight tablets a day. You wouldn't take more than that. Yeah. So y'all out there don't just keep popping those pills to think that it's just going to keep getting better, you know? And I think what my mom was saying is that the earlier take them the better. Right. And th- there are some guidelines as far as if, if you, if the thing that you take first, you know, and you can take a second dose, you know, maybe in an hour if the headache hasn't gone away, but after that second dose, if that hasn't worked, then you may need to, th- that's when you need to consider, okay, I need to go to my, my regimen and pick something else because this one doesn't be happen to be working for this particular migraine. Right. And we should also mention that when you do take a drug, or a pharmaceutical, usually you take it orally. And we're, this is oral drugs. I'm making an assumption where you're putting it in your mouth and then it goes down into your stomach. And so it takes time for it to metabolize. Uh, metabolize meaning that it breaks apart and so that it can get inside of your bloodstream 
and then actually go to the places where it's supposed to act, which I think, I don't know how long that normally takes, but usually between 30, 30 minutes to 60 to, minutes, yeah, 30 mm-hmm. minutes to an hour. So if it's not working right away, um, don't panic, you know, give yourselves 30 to 60 minutes. And if you've noticed nothing happening, then maybe take that additional dose and then wait another 30 to 60 minutes to see if that extra dosage, you're sending more reinforcements to fight the battle, uh, to go for those extra nudgings. Uh, to maybe to turn the tide so that you can at least diminish the symptoms. Um, uh, I don't know if there's any hope of them going away. I really think it's probably just suppressing them to a level that's manageable, correct? Right. Sometimes if you're able to go to sleep, you know, that you can get rid of a migraine headache, but it's, but because you've got that pain there, it's hard to go to sleep, you know, to get rid of the he- the headache and stuff. So. so sleep can kind of reset the circuitry in a, a little way. bit. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting to know too. So, um, there's the next um, group of drugs that is prescribed. Now, these are prescription drugs, so you'd need to get them from your physician um, or your, your prescriber, you know, um, is going to be what we call serotonin agonists. So remember, we talked about serotonin being a component of, you know, helping to cause migraine headaches. So serotonin agonists, and the thing that we know, we, we call them kind of as a kind of slangy name is called triptans. So these are going to be things like sumatriptan or your imitrex, your zomig, your maxalt, um, your frova, your emerge. These are all prescription all drugs. All that we know just off yeah, the top of so our head. <laughs> imitrex you may have heard of. Um, but I think that one of the things that I'd like to bring out with this particular um, drug class is that they're going to help to, again, help to bring that, the, to help vasoconstrict the blood vessels. That's one of the ways that they work. And they're going to also work in that trigeminal nerve area and help to reduce some inflammation in that area with that, with that activity, with that nerve. Um, the, the, Josh mentioned that most medications that are used to treat migraines are oral, but there are some dosage forms in this triptan class. There is an injectable There are some orally disintegrating tablets um, because think about it, if you're nauseated, it's going to be really hard to take something orally. So that's why there are a couple of other dosage forms in order to be able to treat a migraine. Um, Some of the common side effects from this class of of, um, agents are things like um, um, you can get some numbness in your finger. You can feel tired. These triptans have this um, syndrome called triptan sensations where there are, in up to 25% of patients, you can feel chest pain or tightness. Um, but um, it's not anything to get really panicked over. But if you do have an underlying heart condition, you probably wouldn't want to take a triptan, like, a, like an Imitrex, you know, so... Um, and, um, the other thing too, oh, the, and one, and one of the medications in this class of drugs, is also a nasal spray, which can also cause some taste changes and stuff if you use the nasal spray and stuff. But again, having that variety of dosage forms for people who have an upset stomach, you know, but they still need treatment for a migraine you know, is, is good, is good to know, is good to know. Yeah, I think, you know, we could go down this list and we can talk. And I think these conversations would probably be best with um, the physician and the patient just because it's going to depend. But right. we, should, we should just, uh, as a caveat with prescription drugs and any drugs, 
whatsoever, even natural remedies. Um, when you're putting something inside of your body, and even including food, you're you're adding things to your body that your body isn't used to or, um, or potentially not used to. And most things that go inside of your body are nonspecific. Now, what I mean by that is there are certain receptors in your brain that will bind to certain chemicals really, really, really well. We call that having a high affinity, meaning that it will just stick on there like glue. It's super attracted to it. Now, other things could have a low affinity, meaning they sometimes stick to it or they sometimes don't, but that means that they could also have affinity for other things as well. And when you put a drug or food or natural remedy inside of you, you could potentially have a lot of low affinity or high affinity events that you didn't intend for. So for example, when mom was talking about you could take these non-steroidal NSAIDs and you could potentially get gastrointestinal um, problems, it's because of this, this drug that's basically binding to a certain area that will cause an adverse effect because lo and behold, drugs have multiple binding sites because they like to be attracted to different things because they're nonspecific. So this is why doing good research is really good, uh, not just because you want to find the dress, best drugs for the best treatment, but you also want to be aware of the risk of taking a certain type of drug. So when you are taking Tylenol, for example, you know the benefits, but you also know the cost and not cost in terms of dollars, but also the cost in terms of your potential health. And then you say, is it worth the trade-off? Um, some things aren't. Like some of these prescription drugs, I was looking up the cost, they can range from 600 to $2,000 you know, per prescription. Um, because we can talk about that on another episode about why drugs can cost so much um, and, and how, what ways to bring them down. Because if you look at like a bottle of Tylenol, I mean, it's maybe $4. Um, and there's good reasons for why it's $4 now and than when it originally came out. But I just wanted to give that as a caveat of anytime you put anything in your body that there could be potential changes that happen in there. Um, and it's good to notice those changes and then you see if it's worth the trade-off or not. Um, because unfortunately nothing is a hundred percent effective. You know, you're going to give, you're going to treat your migraine a little bit, but then you might upset your stomach a little bit. And uh, unfortunately we can't go back to being 10, uh, when everything seemed to work perfectly. Um, and so we're trying to basically get some type of balance as we get older and things start kind of breaking down and failing. So Okay. And I think that Josh brought a good point. Let me just, let me just mention a couple of other drug classes that your, your healthcare provider could provide prescribe for you. If you have a migraine and if you have a migraine, you probably are familiar with some of these. One is called ergot derivatives and they are kind of similar in, in mechanism for the way that triptans work. Um, so you've got ergotamine and dihydroergotamine. Yeah, is also a similar one as well. Yes. Um, the, uh, the next class is, this is a newer drug class. It's those CGRP receptor antagonists. So remember, we talked about that, that peptide that causes some, uh, some inflammation and vasodilation. And so these are going to antagonize that. So you're going to have seen some some. Uh, commercials on TV for Ubrelvi or Nurtec. And those are those types of agents that are used to, um, to, to abort or, or stop a mind. 
always with a pretty butterfly to to make me feel nice and secure so that I go ask my doctor about there these you prescription go. drugs. There you go. Um, and then there is a newer, there's a newer agent. It's called a Ditan, Ditan. It's called Rayval, and it's also available um, uh, to also manage uh, migraines. Now, if you are a person that has recurrent migraines, Josh kind of alluded to the fact that sometimes they can, they may not be very frequent, or they can happen more frequently. It may be that your you and your healthcare provider decide that you need preventive therapy to take for a migraine. And again, that's going to usually happen if you have more chronic migraines. They happen more frequently. Sometimes it's going to be there are some more serious migraines, and that's kind of beyond our scope as far as diagnosing some of those things. That would be a conversation you would have with your healthcare provider. Um, but um, so though in those types of patients, you probably would also recommend a preventive therapy. Um, and again, it's going to be something that can be given so that maybe the number of headaches that you get per month will be reduced. And that would be a welcome, you know, blessing. Yeah. So, so some, yes, absolutely. So I'm just going to read just kind of a, a, um, a list of types of medications that have been used for this. And again, it's not a one size fits all and one might work sometime and, and might not work later on, or something might work for one patient that doesn't work for another. So this is a, this is a group of medications that your physician can use to prescribe to you for preventive therapy. One drug class is called beta blockers, um, things like propranolol or metoprolol. The, these also are used to lower blood pressure, but in this particular circumstance, you're using them at usually a lower dose to help prevent migraines. Um, there are some antidepressant medications that have been used to have manage or, or to, to lower migraine headache incidence. Because they can regulate serotonin right. and dopamine. Um, yes. And so amitriptyline and venlafaxine are the ones that have been most, that have the most um, evidence for being successfully used. Um, and there's a couple of anti-seizure medications that are used. It's uh, one is called Topamax and one is called Depakote. Um, and they, they've been they've been prescribed. Actually, there are some of our serotonin agonists or our triptans that can be used primarily for menstrual migraine. Uh, so anytime you've got a migraine that has a a predictable pattern, then you can take a pr- preventive triptan you know, at that particular time, you know, to help prevent the migraines. So things right. like so if it's, if a woman is having her period, then she goes, Oh, it's that time. Right. You would start a couple of days before it's going to start to help keep getting the migraine headache. But the only one, the only triptans that have been, um, kind of looked at and inve- investigated and found to be effective for this are Frova triptan, Nera triptan and Zolma triptan. So um, also, there, there will be a quiz at the end. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and then all that 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 newer class of agents, the the CRGP. I'm sorry, CGRP. CGRP receptor antagonist. Excuse me for mis- misspeaking. How dare you? Culipta and Nurtec have also been shown to be preventive agents and using that mechanism of blocking that that peptide. And then there is also, and then you you may have seen some commercials um, on TV for these agents. These are CGRP antagonist antibodies. 
So these are subcutaneous injections. Um, so you're going to get, you can actually give it to yourself, but it's under the skin. And then there's actually one infusion, an, an intravenous infusion. And these are, Viepti is the intravenous infusion where you'd have to go to an infusion center to get it. And again, this is, this is an agent that you'd only get once every three months. Um, if you, and again, if you got more serious migraines, it might be something to consider. And that's going to be a medication that's going to be more expensive. Antibodies are things that are associated with your immune system. And if they are specific to a specific type of molecule like the CGRPs, they're going to go in and they're going to attach to those CGRPs. And then the immune system essentially going to hopefully clear them out a little bit. So you have less of a concentration. Right. And, and if that, and if that happens to be something that's causing your migraine, then it should work. Um, and, and if not, then you've eliminated a cause. There, you, there go. you go. There you go. Um, and then other agents in that particular class are Amovig, Ajovi, and Imgality. Those, again, are those subcutaneous injections. Again, they're going to be more expensive, but they may cut the number of migraine headaches that you have um, in half. Um, and again, you're usually these agents are, are used when you have more frequent migraines. I mean, then the last thing I want to mention, because you see it, you definitely see it on, on, on TV or in advertisements is, is Botox. Um, and it has been used only, and it's only approved for use in patients that have chronic migraines and chronic migraines are defined as those patients who have headaches for 15 or more days per month. And these headaches last for four or more hours each time. So you're talking about, you know, significant loss of, you know, quality of life and stuff. So Botox is going to be kind of a last resort. And we should mention again what Botox, first of all, that's fascinating. But Botox is a, it's the toxin. It's a neurotoxin. Yes. From the bacteria. Yes. Botulinum. And uh, people figured it out long ago. First of all, that is it, uh, it's not good to ingest. It wouldn't do well for you. But if given in small doses, it promotes a skin tightening, uh, which is why uh, people use that um, to basically get a little bit tighter skin. Uh, I remember back in the day, um, there were Botox parties that people would, <laughs> people would just hire physicians and they would have people come out and just, you know, you would just go to the corner and you'd get an injection and then you just go on throughout the party. Uh, so it was all the rage. Not back a the, smart thing to do. You know, um, humans have done a lot of smart and not smart things over our history. Yes. Uh, and we learn little bits along the way. But anyway, so the, again, just I just wanted to mention that because you, people might have seen advertisements for that, and that I just want you to know that Botox is not for everybody. You know, it's going to be those more serious um, patients. Yeah, because if you overdose on that, that is you bad can get news. paralysis. Yeah. You know, so not a good deal. Bears. Um, and then I just wanted to throw out too that you you may also. See, there is some evidence for some alternative medicine supplements that can be used primarily to prevent migraines. There's not, there's not super evidence, but there's some evidence for their efficacy. And again, it's again going to be that it might work in some patients, but not in others. And uh, one of them is uh, vitamin B2 or riboflavin, and the other is fever. fever fever few. Um, those are two uh, examples of things that might be used to help reduce the number of headaches that you have. Yeah. I was reading about a systematic review that was done as well on herbal treatments. And, um, yeah, there was, there were some like coriander or citron or menthol, um, that had some positive results, but again, 
we'll talk about evidence another time in another podcast, but um, the idea is, is like alternative medicine, once proven effective, just becomes medicine. You know, a lot of times people think, oh, it's medicine versus alternative medicine. The thing about alternative medicine is that usually most of them are supplements or they're herbal remedies and they're not regulated by the FDA. Um, the FDA is the Food and Drug Administration. In order for a drug to get brought to market in the United States, um, it needs to uh, essentially be proven safe um, and effective um, for use, um, basically in the, the treatment that it is, and then you can sell it. Um, but there are things like herbs, which have obviously been proved to be safe because we eat them all the time. Um, so we assume that they're safe to ingest, but they're not going to go out and say that this is actually going to cure the condition that you're seeking. Uh, but again, it's not saying that there's not because just using Tylenol or acetaminophen as an example, that was extracted from tree bark. You know, that was something that, um, there was noticed in certain tribes. Sorry, that was aspirin, not Tylenol. Oh, same. Thanks for correcting me. Yeah. Uh, so actually it's aspirin that was found in tree bark and that molecule was basically extracted out so that you can give it in a, in a concentrated form, which is the pill that you see. So it started as a natural thing in tree bark and then was extracted out to form a pharmaceutical. So we're not saying that no herbs or anything doesn't have an effect. We're saying that there might be a better way to deliver that by actually giving the active ingredient. We call it the active ingredient, meaning because it actually act, is active in the condition that you want to treat. Um, inside of the body because there's a lot of other stuff in plants that you don't want in um, inside of you to treat that condition um, as well. Like pollen, for example. <laughs> you don't want a lot of pollen. Okay. So just a couple of other things about preventive therapy for migraines. Um, actually, preventive therapy is effective in approximately 50% of the time. Um, so not it's not 100% effective. But again, if you change between therapies, sometimes you can find one that's going to help at least reduce your headache frequency to some, you know, to some extent. Um, and usually it can take a couple of months before you see the maximum benefit from a preventive therapy. So don't, don't think after one dose, you're going to see an effect and give it, you know, like I said, give it, you know, eight to 12 weeks, uh, you know, of taking it before you um, give up, you know, on that particular medication. And then usually the recommended, um, the, the recommendation is to, tr to take a preventive therapy from anywhere from six to 12 months. And then you can, at the end of 12 months, you could try to taper off of it to see if actually you are able to kind of, kind of change the frequency of your headaches so that you don't need to take that preventive me medication for a while and stuff. That's going to be, be individualized as well. You always want to taper off your treatment, uh, stopping medications abruptly, especially the ones that are prescribed to prevent migraine headaches is not necessarily a great idea. Yeah. It's like if, uh, comparing it to like, imagine that the disease is like a, a, a foreign invader and you're trying to fight them with your own army, you know, quote unquote. And if you withdraw all of your troops at once, you know, that's just going to give an opportunity for the enemy to basically maintain its stronghold. But if you strategically remove troops one at a time, you might be able to have some type of homeostasis or stability inside of you. Right. And the, and the other reason that you do taper them is that sometimes if you abruptly discontinue a medication, you can actually cause yourself to have some 
adverse effects. So, um, and it just depends on the medication that you're taking. So that again, you want to talk with your physician to, to, to handle that appropriately. I think people can relate anytime that they've gone on that diet where they gave up coffee or they gave up chocolate. And then the next day, wasn't a good day. You know, it's like, Oh my gosh, I need my coffee. Right. I need my chocolate. That's Uh, right. The headache will, the headache will speak for itself. Yes. So don't give up. You know, keep keep it up. I would also strongly recommend if you have this condition, keep a record. Keep a record of things that have worked and things that haven't. You know, have a little notebook. Uh, it'll be a fun little Sherlock Holmes, um, you know, detective case for you. Um, so I think we should, you know, close out um, talking about, um, or did you have something else that you want to talk about? Well, we mentioned just briefly, we mentioned medication, medication overuse headaches. So let me just touch on that very shortly. Um, so again, if you um, treat a migraine um, and, and acute and acute you know, acutely with you know a lot of medication, you actually can set your head up for getting a, another headache as that drug wears off. So you want to follow the guidelines for treating migraines that your physician or the the label on the on the bottle for a Tylenol or an aspirin or an ibuprofen you know taking it every 6 to 8 hours or 4 to 6 hours you want to follow that so that you don't take them too frequently because that can set you up for that medication overuse headache. And we talked about that with those combination products that have narcotics in them, like the barbiturates and the codeine. So again, you, you, it's really frustrating that you could then create a headache while you're trying to treat a headache. And so you just, again, by not taking too much medication, that's going to help you to, to prevent from having that medication overuse headache. So maybe we should um, talk about some of the misconceptions or myths um, around migraines that maybe a lot of people have, and maybe they, they feel like they're struggling with, and we can kind of belay some of the fears, um, around some of those misconceptions. Um, you know, they always say knowledge, uh, the truth will set you free. Um, and narrowing these things down, hopefully will eliminate a lot of variables so that you can get to the right answer and hopefully provide some relief for yourself, if not a loved one who's, um, having some issues with migraines. So I'd say a couple of the kind of myths or maybe false thinkings about migraines. I think we've we've probably touched on a lot of these in our discussion, Josh. First one is that migraine is just a headache. Um, I think we've kind of, if people have listened to our conversation, we've kind of we've kind of um, dismissed that myth because we've, it's not just a headache. It's not just a tension headache. It's got a bunch of other right components. because that might come with a stigma of someone just saying, get over it. It's just a headache, but it's not just a type of headache. Like this is a, this is a really severe condition in which can, it can really debilitate you. For so, some patients. Yes, it really can. But I think it's more so like when you tell somebody you have a headache, they might not really understand. Like when you, t- like, this has been so wonderful for me because I had no idea a lot about all this stuff. I'm just like, Oh, it's just a headache. But you know, it's uh, hearing all this today is really giving me more empathy and more compassion to be like, okay, if someone says they have a migraine, I need to give them a lot more grace. Right. Or if somebody says, I have a headache, you can say, is it just a headache or is it a migraine? You know, so because that goes into the next um, kind of myth, like all headaches are migraines. Well, we know that's not true. You know, there's a, there's a variety of different types of headaches and tension type headaches and migraines are just two of them. And there are several other types of headaches as well. Um, 
some people might think a migraine is their fault. And, and we've, we've certainly shown that that's not anybody's fault. It could be the way they're made up, the environment that they live in, circumstances that are going on. Um, now we, we, there may be some triggers that you can kind of control to maybe help reduce the number of, of headaches, but it's certainly not somebody's yeah, fault. Yeah, but it's not your fault. Like if you drank that glass of wine and you got a migraine, it's not your fault that you got a migraine. You no. just happen to be a person born with the predisposition to get migraines. On that particular day. Yep. You know, That's absolutely bad right. Luck. Yes. Yeah, so don't kick yourself. Right. I think we just talked about this too, that the more medicine I take for for my, my migraine headache, the more control I will have over my migraine. And no way. You know, we just talked about that, that you want to take it, you want to take it in appropriate doses, the least amount of medication to help to re- eliminate the pain, not more, more is not necessarily better because you could set yourself up for that medication overuse headache. Um, caffeine is the cause of my migraine. No, that's not really true. Yes. You, maybe you're one of those people who does get a, a migraine after drinking a cup of coffee, but remember caffeine is also in a lot of therapies for treating migraine and it can be an effective treatment for migraine as well. Right. So it might be a a correlation, not causation. Like my favorite example is when uh, you look at a house that is, if you look at all the houses that have ever burned down, uh, they all have sinks inside of them, but you wouldn't relate, you know, the house burning down to the sink being inside of it. Right. Right. Because we, most of us drink tea or coffee in this, you know, in this country. Um, so you're, it's going to be easy to draw that comparison. Uh, but we know from you know, looking at the literature that caffeine could actually be a helpful aid uh, to vasoconstricting your blood vessels in the trigeminal nerve area. Right. Um, the next one is that you must have an aura for it to be a migraine. Well, we learned that. Remember, it's only 20 to 25 percent of patients have, a, have an aura with their migraine. Um, here's one that we haven't really cut touched on, but I think for those that um, uh, are are uh, considering having a baby um, or are pregnant and you might and you have migraines, you might think there's nothing that you can do um, to manage your migraines if you're pregnant. And that's not true. Again, it would be a, di- a dialogue that you would have with your physician, but there are some medications that you can take that are safe to use in pregnancy if your migraines do get worse while you're pregnant. Um, and then the last one is that there is a diet plan that can cure my migraine and there might be some foods that trigger migraine, but there's not really a way that you can eat per se that can get rid of migraine headaches. So again, that's another myth that we can dispel here. There's no real silver bullet that is going to, um, as far as a, there, there's no real silver bullet as far as a, a diet that you can eat on a consistent basis that's going to keep you from having headaches and stuff. So, okay. So, I think, you know, to wrap things up, you know, we talked about the fact that a migraine is a, a headache that occurs on one side, is a throbbing headache, um, and it can uh, last f- for up to three days. But usually in most patients, it, it, well, it, it's patient specific. So everybody's um, headache um, uh, uh, experience is different. There can be triggers um, associated with them that can possibly be controlled to help you know reduce the number that you have in a, in a monthly period. And thankfully, there are a variety of treatments to both treat acute episodes as well as to prevent the number of headaches that you have in a, in a particular migraine headaches that you have in a particular month. And I think for 
patients out there who are experiencing this, you know, we are super sorry that you're having to go through these conditions. Um, but one of the biggest things is that you want to treat it early, you know, as soon as you start experiencing those symptoms and you think a migraine is coming on, almost have like a little holster, have a little fanny pack of, of your medications that have worked for you ready to go. Um, and if you're someone who's thinking that you might have a migraine, um, I would recommend getting it diagnosed by a, a physician uh, as quickly as possible so that you can develop a treatment plan for you. Um, and other than that, if you have any questions for us, you can find us on social media um, at Twitter, uh, Your Mom on Drugs. And uh, we will be happy to answer any questions that you have regarding this episode and any future episodes. Um, but we hope that you learned a lot. I know I did um, from my wonderful mom, uh, who is just just an amazing resource and an amazing person. So um, that being said, my name's Josh Klaus. And I'm Jennifer Seltzer. And this has been an episode of Your Mom on Drugs. Thanks for joining.